0: And special thank you to the ensemble, to Jim, to Becky for all the help, Miriam, the special music, the focus on the worship of the Lord today with this nice blended focus on patriotism and, uh, you know, our our thoughts about our country kind of probably go up and down a little bit based on what we see happening in the news. There, some days we're more excited, probably, about being an American, being a citizen of this land than, than others. Uh, but we need, we need to understand there is a commitment. There's a commitment that goes along with being loyal to where God has placed us, wherever that is. You now, we've kind of focused on the flag today, as I think about our American flag. There's different times I see the American flag, and I sometimes wonder, you know, when I get kind of emotional or stirred at just the sight of the flag, certain places where it just, you know, I find myself thinking, man, we've got the most beautiful flag in the world. You know, other countries have nice flags, but, but I might feel the same way, you know, if I was in another country, and I sure, certainly should feel loyal to that country if that's where God had put me. But... I am a little biased, you know, and you go by and you see these enormous flags flying and you can see them off the highway and stuff like that. And it's just like that that blowing in that red, white, and blue, uh, just just an incredible sight. But I think uh, what moves me more are scenes, memorable scenes of where uh, the flag played a role and people were willing to really put their life on the line course one is that iconic scene of the military personnel uh, those those four I think it was that were lifting that flag on Iwo Jima and uh, that's been pictured that's been statuesque in so many different ways and you just realize what's going on there is that sense of uh, they knew that that flag ha- didn't have any kind of Firepower to it or anything like that, but it's what it represented. And they were giving all their effort to reestablish that flag for the sense of of ownership and priority. And as I read my Bible, I see that the Lord uses that same symbolism in Scripture, the idea of a flag, uh, also. Uh, to represent some things about himself. We've read a passage of Scripture where there's a battle taking place, and what a, what an incredible story it is, an account in Scripture, where you have Moses, uh, you know, it, it all seems to be contingent upon whether his hands are up or down. And that's true, but it's not because he had some sort of superpower. It's just, you know, the Lord had said, be obedient, keep your hands up in this way, and, and then others came along to support him in that way, and they get a great victory. But let's don't miss the fact of what happened at the end, where out of a spirit of gratitude, they didn't just celebrate. And look, look at what we got accomplished here. Uh, they wanted to make sure that the identification came back to Jehovah God. And so Moses erects this altar in verse fifteen. And what's also interesting is that he gives a name to it. And as you look at that, you think, well, I recognize the first part of it, Jehovah. That's the proper name for God, Yahweh, the God who exists. But then, as is often the case, you have this suffix that is attached to it. And this is the only place where you see that done, for instance, uh, maybe more familiar to us is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Um, so what is Jehovah Nissi? Well, you might have a little note in your Bible or a cross-reference that gives you a clue. But if it doesn't, it's basically saying the Lord our banner or the Lord our flag. And, and Moses is properly identifying God in a military standpoint here focusing God, as God as leader, though God was not visibly there as a human leader, uh, they recognized God gave the victory. And is that not how we as believers need to look at our God when we have any kind of measure of success in life, that it is God ultimately that gives the victory? We need to be careful not just to give the credit to a unnamed higher power is jehovah god the creator is our lord yes. so why would we compare god to a flag why did the lord why did moses choose to give this particular name to an altar to memorialize what was happening here this day i want to just make a few observations and and point out that this same Hebrew word is used other places in our Old Testament, but it isn't always translated out as the same English word. Sometimes it's banner. Sometimes it's sign, S-I-G-N. Sometimes it's an ensign, basically the same idea. Sometimes it's just the word pole. And so the idea, again, something that's representative there in one place in the book of Ezekiel, it's even translated as the word sail, like on a ship. But e- even then, the Phoenicians often used their, their sails, as it's the case in that context, with a lot of colored embroidery to double as a flag, as a representation represent- of something about their country and the colors that they were sailing under. So all of these uses really, in some form or another, come back to the idea of identification. It's the idea of open identification. So how do we compare God to a flag? Well, number one, in this particular case, he's saying the Lord is a flag, but he's naming a what? He's giving this name Jehovah Nissi to what? He's giving it to an altar, right? He's actually giving a name. I don't know if he puts a, you know, has a, a nameplate you know, inscribed or something like that. Maybe they chiseled it out into one of the stones. They may not have done that. But he made it very openly known to everybody uh, that as they look at this pile of stones that this was going to be the thought here, this aspect of God. So what do we know about an altar? Well, an altar is a place where animals were slain and offered to God. Uh, You can go through your Old Testament and see it over and over again. The altar itself symbolizes sacrifice. Now, when you look at sacrifice, I don't know about you, but I often as a child reading the Bible would think, how does this benefit God, right? I mean, they're bringing all these animals and bullocks and birds and, you know, sometimes they're bringing uh, baked goods and drink offerings and all kinds of things. And these animals are, are burned up. Uh, the, the drink offerings are poured out, you know, all these different things. It's easy to look at it as just wasteful. You know, it's not like they, they got some sort of box and piled all these livestock items and waited for God to elevate it up into heaven where he could actually use it, right? You say, that's kind of silly. Well, you know, people often think, what's the point? How has God benefited by this whole process of sacrificing taking place? Does he need them? And the answer is no, God doesn't need it. God, who is divine, is not in need of anything that we can offer him so what's the point an altar really is about what we need to give him right and that's what sacrifice is all about god is honored as it is exiting from our control from from our sense of our repository and say god it's yours and that spirit of sacrifice needs to live in our heart all the time. And so really, as you think about an altar, it really signifies sacrifice. David, in another place in the Bible, in 2 Samuel chapter 24, he, he was repenting of his sin and getting right. And he realized, you know, I have really blown it in numbering the people and brought this plague, this pestilence upon the people and all these fatalities. And so David says, I need to take time to pay homage to my God. He found a man named Araunah who had a particular threshing floor. David deemed it as just the perfect spot for this altar. But Araunah said when he recognized that it was the king that was asking for this, said, sire, you can just have it. You know, if you're going to, first of all, you're the king, and number two, you're going to use it as an altar uh, for Jehovah God. Let me just give it to you. And I, and I love David's response. I reference this verse often uh, in, my, in my preaching when it's applicable. But David says these noble words. He says, neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. You know, David recognized, you know, Rana, that's very noble of you. It's very kind of you to want to gift this. But if I just receive that, it's it's really going to take the essence away from what I feel like I need to do here. And so, therefore, we need to understand that when we're involved in worship, when we're involved in honoring God, it's really at the point that we feel that, that twinge of tightening the belt. We feel the idea of it costing us something. That That's really where the, the spirit of worship and honoring God begins. And, and, if in, and if we're not doing that, and this is why, by the way, when we bring our tithes and offerings to the Lord that we need to be praying, Lord, what you would have me to do. And, you know, sometimes we don't pause and really go to the Lord in that matter and and, and do as the New Testament instructs us, as we have uh, prepared in our hearts, so let a man give unto the Lord. But we do that by grace. We do that by faith. And often people will say, you know, I didn't know where it was going to come from God and just implanted upon my heart this unction that I was supposed to give towards this special offering or whatever and I gave and yet I had such a joy in being able to give beyond what I thought my means was and lo and behold God supplied through me. Wow that was incredible and so it is when it costs us something. You know you we have missionaries come back from the field to report to us, and we look at them like our, you know, our heroes, and we should in many ways. We think, man, you know, and many of us say, I could not do what you do, and the missionary may come back, what do you mean do what I do? You know, tell people about Jesus? I mean, I mean, you've left it all. You've left the state. You've gone to a different country, a different culture. You're, you're, you're far away from being able just to get together for holiday meals with family. That, you know, doesn't happen like, you know, it does for everybody else. And, and everything that you're saying is talking about sacrifice. And yet it's that sacrifice, it's that willingness to say, say no to the norms and creature comforts that has created such joy in these servants of Christ for what they're doing. Well, it works the same way for us. You don't have to go across the world to do that. But we need to not shy away from sacrifice in our lives. We need to embrace it. We need to look for it. We need to ask God to put us in situations and give us opportunities where we will be stretched. In Romans 6.13, we're reminded to yield ourselves unto God. It's that that sense that there is this struggle, right? Because the word yield implies that uh, there is some innate resistance. And that's there because of the status quo and because of our flesh. We like things going easy. We like things going smooth. We like things being the way they always are. And so when God nudges us and directs us, Outside of those comfort zones, there does have to be that decisive moment in our minds and our hearts where we say, Yes, Lord. Yes, I yield to you. And at that moment that we do that, guess what? That's an alter moment. Not just in the sense of altering our thinking, it's a sacrificial moment. And and when we refuse, when we become hard and stiff, then we're missing out on a golden opportunity to worship God and to sacrifice for Him. Another verse that reminds us as Christians the need to daily have this spirit of sacrifice is Romans 12, chapter 12 and verse 1, where he says, Present your bodies a living what? Sacrifice. Now again, he's not asking for us to climb up onto an altar And shed our blood in some sort of suicidal pack and say, God, I give myself to you. No, that's not the idea. And he makes that clear. We're not not supposed to be a dead sacrifice. We're supposed to be a what kind of sacrifice? Living. You know, in a manner of speaking, it might be easier in some respects to be a dead sacrifice. You know, because it's that one-time decision of just ending it all in this, you know, very misguided view of honoring God by taking your life to give to Him. Well, it was the false gods that believed in human sacrifice that way. God wants human sacrifice, but He wants you alive. He wants us every day to present our bodies to Him and say, Lord, it's another day. Help me to die to self. Help me to say yes to your spirit's leading. And help me to sacrifice over and over again my ideas, my whims, my wishes, my comforts for the greater good of glorifying you in the kingdom of Christ. And that's what it means to walk under the flag, the banner of God. There is an altar of sacrifice that's involved. But at least in one place in the Bible, there's a mention of an altar... It doesn't really involve sacrifice, although every time that they would look at this altar, I'm sure they would still think about the nature of an altar encompassing the idea of sacrifice, and it's found in the book of Joshua chapter 22. Now, we're going through Joshua on Sunday nights, but it'll be a little while before we get this chapter, so let me just give you a thumbnail of what's happening here, and then you'll just be ahead of the curve when we get to this and our evening messages. But you remember that there were two and a half tribes that wanted to keep uh, part of their existence on the eastern side of the Jordan River and not cross over. And they were required to go into the land, help defeat the armies with everybody else, and then they could come back and be settled. Well, by this point in the book of Joshua, that has happened. And they're able to go back as they covenanted to settle in those lands, uh, and, and, and as they do this, Gad, uh, Simeon, and half-tribe of Rummen, and as they're over there, uh, they decide, well, you know, we ought to build an altar. Well, you know, this got some questions. You know, if you're out here, that might, that might go the wrong way. You might, you might begin to not worship God as you should. Because you don't have the accountability over here. And so I like what they, they said in the idea that we want this altar to be one of remembrance. We, being over here a little detached, we want something emblematic that as we look at it will help us to not lose focus on all that God has done in bringing us even to where we are here on the eastern side. And so in Joshua chapter 22, verse 26 and 7, it says, Let us now prepare to build us an altar. These are the collective voice of these two and a half tribes. Not, not for burnt offering, nor for sacrifice. In other words, we're not going to put a single animal on there. But that it may be a what a witness, a witness between us, in other words, among themselves, and you, and our generations after us. Grandpa, what's that over there? That's an altar. I've never seen any sacrifices. Well, we don't offer any sacrifices on that, you know. But let me tell you why that pile of stones is assembled there. Isn't it wonderful that there was this intentionality, this purposefulness in the lives of these people at this point? Now, they don't stay this way, but they have the right mindset at this moment and saying, you know, we don't want to forget. Folks, we we need to do things. In fact, it also goes in another part of the scripture talks about a book of remembrance, We need to cling on and record in the annals of our minds, but also in in written form, so that we don't forget, and then even if we say, well, I don't think I'll forget, so that we can pass on to future generations, not so that they'll say, wow, that group of Christians was pretty fantastic, that was pretty amazing. No, they'll see how God is faithful, and God is great, and God is real. And so that was also part, not just for this altar, but no doubt for all altars. There's a recalling every time you go there to look at an altar of God, what it was all about. We build monuments to remember, don't we, in our country? You go to Washington, D.C., there's the Washington Monument, there's the Lincoln Monument, the Jefferson Memorial. You go to New York City, there's 9-11 Memorial Memorial. A lot of these things, lots of care, a lot of thought, a lot of money went into the creation of these things. And it's so neat to see people pausing and stopping there and seeing adults talking to small children and explaining the significance of these things. To go to a wall with names on it and say, every name represents someone who gave their life in this war. And so we as Christians, we need to memorialize. But we need to memorialize, most importantly, our God. I think I think this way more now that I'm a grandpa. You know, even though my grandson's pretty young at this point, I want to create that habit in my heart already as we're walking around and looking at a leaf that he brings me. And I'm like, Josiah, Who made this leaf? God made this leaf. Yeah. You know, it's not sinking in yet, but I want his earliest memories to be of Papa pointing back to God so that everything is... Let me tell you stories. I look forward to telling him stories about what the Lord did here at Anchor Baptist Church. You know, when his mama was a little girl. There's a scene in Numbers chapter 21 where the children of Israel were bitter, rebellious. God sent fiery serpents to bite them. And and God says, I'm going to have mercy. God directed Moses to erect a pole. Remember what I said, that flag and banner, there's another word, pole is one of them. It's the same Hebrew word in Numbers 21 in verse 9 when Moses erects this pole with this brazen serpent. And all that the, the injured people had to do to save their life was to look by faith at that serpent, and they would live. Look and live. We have a favorite hymn that we like to sing here, Look and Live. Well, is it just because that's, that account in the book of, of Numbers is so great that we write a hymn about it? No, it's because that concept of what happened in the Old Testament Jesus, later on, as he's sitting, talking to a man named Nicodemus, says, Nicodemus, you need to grasp this idea of trust and this idea of looking really to God and really you know, remembering what it's all about. So in John 3:14, Jesus would liken himself to that serpent on the pole. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. And we know that Jesus was lifted up on a cross, crucified to secure our redemption. And we need to look as humans to the complete and finished work by faith of Jesus by faith on Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross to be saved. But we also realize that Jesus was lifted up, not just on the cross, but he was lifted up into the heavens, which is where he is now. He's not on the cross anymore. The sacrifice has been paid. And so we we look dynamically now to the presence of Jesus, our high priest, seated at the right hand of God the Father, who has accomplished what he was lifted up on the cross to do. And so... There's a lot of significance to the flag and its connection to an altar of sacrifice and remembrance. But what are the purposes of a flag? What are the purposes of a flag? I'm going to give you just three or four things here and connect these to biblical purposes of flag. There's a lot of things modern day we can use, and a lot of these things correspond to how we use flags today. Definitely the first one is the idea of a flag has a way of identifying. When a person rallies to an ensign, a flag, a banner, he is saying, I am choosing to be connected with what it represents. So for instance, my opening analogy, those men trying to post at at great jeopardy to themselves that flag on the Isle of Iwo Jima, You know, what had to be going on inside of all their minds is they were identifying with that flag as it represented their country. I mean, that was something that they were willing to die for. And so a flag in its connection or its identification connects us to a cause. Is there not a cause, right? Thinking patriotically the history of our land, there's a man named Pastor John Sayers. He related an an agent visiting a military hospital during wartime. And he heard the singing of the song, Rally Round the Flag, boys. We will rally around the flag. And he commented, this agent commented to a nurse, why, that patient is quite merry, he must be recovering. No, you are mistaken, sir. He is actually dying. I am his nurse. And the scene has so affected me that I was obliged to leave the room. The agent stepped into the room and found the singer struggling with death. As his voice grew more and more feeble, he poured forth from his patriotic soul the words that had so often cheered him on the march and in the fight, Rally once again! And as he sank back into his death slumber, his last words, which came incoherently word, were the flag boys. Though he grew silent, the other sick and wounded in the ward began to sing, am I a soldier of the cross? Those men caught the greater identification of not just loyalty to a land, and a cause for fighting for our freedoms in this land, which is great and important. To a greater cause even than that, to fight for the captain of hosts, our Savior, that brings salvation to all who will come to him. And so this idea of a flag connecting us to a cause is seen in Psalm 60 in verse 4, when it says, Thou hast given a banner, there's the word, a banner to them that fear thee, that it may be displayed because of the truth. And so here's the idea of a, of a banner, something representative, being lifted up. But what is the specific thing to identify the cause worth fighting for? And it tells us right here, it's because of the what? The truth. Oh, there is such a dilution and pollution of the truth today, folks. And yet, if there's anything worth fighting for, it's the truth. And, and we need to not be weary and well-doing when we are faced with opportunities to counter the truth. We're told there is a right attitude. Speak the truth in love, out of compassion, because no one is better if they have the truth stolen from them. And so the most loving thing we can do is to make sure people know the truth. We're silent too long in the face of falsehood and deceptions and counterfeits. And even though it's presented as being maybe even the majority, the majority doesn't make right. God makes right. He's given us his word to establish what is right. And so, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, there is a cause. The Bible tells us that. Not only the flag connects us to a cause, but the flag connects us to a leader. It's very personal. It's not just about an ideology, although that ideology is great. Again, taking us back into the history of our country. The account is given of George Washington during the the fight for our country's freedom. There's that scene in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, the winter of 1777 to 78. And there was a letter that that he wrote dated February 16th, 1778, and we know the account how how hungry the men were, how unclothed the men were. And he wrote in the letter, naked and starving as they are, we cannot enough admire the incomparable patience and fidelity of the soldiery. He admired them for not running off, going AWOL in such deplorable conditions. And why did many of them stay? Because they identified with what they believed to be an honorable leader who was leading them in the path of right. They lost nearly a quarter of the troops stationed there under Washington, and yet there was not one instance of mutiny. Unheard of, right? How many a soldier has followed the flag into the hardest of battles Not because he loved the red, white, and blue color selections. Not because of some ideology. But because of the band of brotherhood that has united him to the leadership and the admiration to follow his superior officer into battle wherever he would take him. And as we as believers are driven by respect and reverence for the Lord who is our supreme commander-in-chief. He will never let us down. There will never be a hint of inappropriateness from Jesus Christ. We're told in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 10. Prophetic of the Messiah, so therefore pointing to Jesus himself. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse. Of course, Jesse was the father of David. And Jesus came forth from the Davidic line. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for and and here's our word, an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his resh shall be glorious. And so the root is the ensign, the flag is the root, and the root is Christ. So the flag is Christ, representative of him. And that's what we need to follow, our Savior. Praise the Lord, it wasn't just for the Jewish people. We as Gentiles seek, and we find rest in Christ that truly is glorious, is it not, my friend? Psalm 60, verse 4 tells us, Thou hast given a banner to them that fear thee, that it may be displayed because of the truth. Banner of them that fear Thee, the reverence and respect to Jesus Christ, to God. That banner is precious to us. But a flag also connects in another way. It connects its followers. There is a cohesiveness. There is a, an amalgamation of the soldiery, of the brotherhood in the battle. In Psalm 20 and verse 5, it says, In the name of our God, we will set up our banners. We do this together. Come on! There's a fight worth fighting for. We encourage. We're iron sharpening iron. Nothing brings God's people together like Jesus Christ does. Nothing brings us together in Christ when the world's opposition grains strong, strength against us. This is the picture of unified soldiers banding together in a joyful unfurling of flags and cheering their common cause. Christians, we need to join as fellow believers, not just within our local church, but to in- encourage believers that are Way far away from us, in sister churches that are planted and led by missionaries that we support. I often will say to one of our missionaries when I email them, please greet your sweet congregation in our behalf and let them know that there is a congregation here in in the United States of America that loves them and is so appreciative that they are going on for Christ there. Many of us will never have the opportunity to meet some of these individuals and these personalities that are also fighting the good fight of faith until we get to heaven someday. What a wonderful reunion that will be. And we all fight our battles a little different. But the one thing is true. We all have the common commander in Jesus Christ. Something else a flag does is it inspires. A flag or a banner serves as a simple, quick visual reminder to those joined by it of all the essential aspects of it and what it represents. We sang our national anthem. The brief history of that, of course, is Francis Scott Key is off in the bay. He's watching the pummeling of Fort McHenry in 1812. Also on board are prisoners that are able to look out many of them through the, the, the lower decks to see what's happening there. And of course as they see the smoke beginning to clear and the rubble and they can still see that their flag was still there. Our flag was still there. Oh say does that star-spangled banner yet wave. And just as he was inspired to write a very moving song that we sing over and over again. So God inspires us. Isaiah 18:3 says, All ye inhabitants of the world and dwellers on the earth, see ye when he lifted up an, and here's our word, an ensign, a banner, a flag, on the mountains. When he bloweth the trumpet, hear ye. What's the point of what's being said here? Hey, you've been discouraged. You've been tempted to give up. You've been tempted to throw in the towel, to wave the white flag of surrender. Hey, there is victory still. Look to your God. He is waving stronger than ever. A soldier battered by warfare may be contemplating abandoning the cause, And there's been stories told where he'll capture a glimpse of the flag. And in a moment, he is bolstered and he perseveres as he remembers why he enlisted in the first place. Many of our dear, precious veterans have injuries, health issues to this very day because of putting their lives on the line. They're orphans and widows because men and women have sacrificed so much, because they were inspired by the cause of loyalty for this country, how can we not have greater loyalty and perseverance for the cause of serving Jesus Christ? Since God is our banner, we continue to gaze at Him in the pages of the Word for encouragement. I'm not suggesting that we go to the store, get some fabric, write the word God on a piece of fabric and hang it up. And when we get discouraged, just look at that cloth. No, that's not the idea. How much better it is for us to gaze at our God through the pages of this this book that he's given to us. And to know there's victory in him and there's strength for him for the daily battles that we all face. Several times during my ministry, I found myself sharing in military funerals always an honor. And there as I walk up and the casket's already in place at the graveside. And it's been draped. The casket's been draped with an American flag. It's a very moving sight in and of itself. It communicates a lot. It communicates the service that was given for this country by the one beneath it. But one thing that I've noticed, but I, I guess I never really put a lot of thought into maybe the significance of it, is that you know that there's eventually going to be the cranking down of that casket into the ground and the pushing the dirt back on top of it. But before that happens, there's the careful removing of that flag, folding it, often putting it in a special case and given to the closest kin member and I thought about that. Never once have I seen an American flag go down with the deceased. Never once. At every instance the flag was removed at the end of the service. And it's true, a nation cannot die for someone. But we as some ones can die for our nation. A nation survives. The removal of the flag from the casket symbolizes that. And though all its citizens will die someday, the nation continues on. And I'm impressed that that symbol of our faith is the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus died for men and women of all nations, of all tongues, of all cultures. So that we may have life. A nation will finally say its farewell to us all. We'll depart. There will come a time when we will no longer be classified as Americans. But not so with the Savior. We will be welcomed in to the Savior's arms. And how fitting that is because the Lord is our everlasting flag. And so at this time of year where we're thinking about loyalty and patriotism and well we should about what God has given to us in this country and we should thank him for it. Let us look beyond that form of patriotism and loyalty to an even greater flag a greater representation our savior Jesus Christ who gave his all for us How can we not sacrifice ourselves every day for him? Father in heaven, thank you for your words of truth. Thank you for emblems. Thank you for representations. Thank you for metaphors in scripture that help us tangible creatures to be able to appreciate some of these truths in a fuller, fresher way. Lord, I pray that as we think about this altar that Moses labeled the Lord our flag, Lord, we would not shy away from the spirit and the exercise of sacrifice in our daily lives. May we recommit ourselves to the ongoing state of mind and practice to be yielding ourselves afresh to you, always. And Lord, to know that Jesus and his truth is a cause worth fighting for. May may we not give in to the pressures of feeling out of step or being in the minority. Lord, may we entrench ourselves into your word and find strength and may we find comfort and may we find you revealed to us in fresh ways every day to help us toward that end, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. It's tough sometimes serving the Lord faithfully, isn't it? Sometimes the assault and the difficulty isn't from an outside individual, Sometimes it's our own just flesh. That's often the biggest battle right there. We need to do battle royal for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We need to be willing to make the sacrifice, and that sacrifice means ourselves, our wants, our wishes. And so the altar still holds truth for us today, as we saw in the book of Romans. Are we living with that mindset as believers? Or are we sort of living for ourselves in a pseudo-Christian, godly way? It's easy to go through the motions, but do we really, and only you know this, and God himself, do you really have a spirit of yieldedness going on in your life to what he has for you to do? Task by task, day by day, relationship by relationship. And if you don't, you're going to face such discouragement and frustrations, anxieties in your life. Because nothing's more difficult than trying to live the Christian life apart from the grace of God enabling you to do so. And so don't shy away from the altar. Embrace the altar every day. Maybe as a Christian, you're here and you say, you know, I don't live with that mindset of yieldedness to God. Now I know we all blow it, I know we all sin we need to confess that, as the Bible tells us. And that needs to be something we're actively doing. But especially, do we have the right heart mindset of, Lord, I want to be yielded to you day by day. I know that that's the right direction. Keep me in that positional thinking. Help me to want to identify with you and your ways and your truth. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm not even sure that I'm truly a born-again Christian You know, talking about Jesus being lifted up on the cross and looking to him by faith, trusting him alone. I'm not sure that there's been a time in my life that I've turned from my sin and put my faith in Jesus Christ alone as my personal Savior. You need to do that today, friend. You need to do that today. You need to be obedient to the word of God. You need to trust and obey that Jesus has paid it all.